Hello, welcome to The Making of Me, a monologue show where music creators discuss their work and an event that contributed to who they are today. My name is Linda Diaz. I am a singer, songwriter, musician from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I grew up in the projects on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And in New York, there's definitely, it's called the Smith. Like if people, like, like I'm from the Smith and people know what that means here. Um, and especially in Manhattan, but all over New York, there are like tiers of like where you're coming from. So there are like places that are known for different things. And the projects that I am from are right by the police plaza, like one of the biggest police plazas in New York, if not the biggest. Um, and it's also right by the Brooklyn Bridge. So it was like pretty quickly gentrified. And then it was also, um, so my family's Puerto Rican. And so these particular projects were, um, were the projects where after the U.S. colonized Puerto Rico in the 50s, um, they moved a bunch of Puerto Ricans to these projects. And so it's like a huge community of Puerto Rican people. And then it's also right by Manhattan's Chinatown. So there's a lot of Chinese people. There used to be a lot of Italian families in the 50s, not really anymore. And then the new families are like African-American families for the most part. Um, but it's still very heavily Puerto Rican and very much from the same island. I'm third generation in that place. Like my all my grandparents and their siblings all live in the Smith or like around it. Okay, so where I'm from, it's like five buildings, I want to say. Um, and they're all in this complex. And then one police plaza, which is like this huge police plaza, is literally like on the other side. Like if it's a circle, it's like half the circle is the projects and the other half of the circle is the police plaza. So it's like, it's already kind of built in this military way where you couldn't escape. Like there's just kind of this like feeling of like being boxed in, um, which was intentional. Like the architecture is intentional in that way. And like putting the police plaza there is intentional. Um, and I remember growing, I just think it's like how you're valued as a human and also like people's suspicions of you, all of those things are like very heightened at a young age. So I remember being a young girl and having people in the building either like just be sick and old because there were a lot of old people in the building. There were also like some people on drugs, but a lot of them weren't even in our built like from our building. Um, but the ambulances would just like never come. We live really, we live walking distance from a hospital, like a big hospital and ambulances would take like 20 to 40 minutes to get across the street to come like save people who like were not able to be saved at that point. Um, my brother went to the public schools around where we grew up and so did my cousin who grew up with us. Um, and it was like policemen with visible guns at every door. Like you had to like metal detectors, you know. Um, and even in like my both my brother and my cousin went to Catholic school because it was like a little bit less that. Um, but there was still this concept that like we already assume that you're gonna that you're a mistake or that you've done something wrong and so I think like leaving the environment I felt I don't know I felt safe in my community but I felt unsafe because of like the suspicions like by people that were outside of the outside of the community so like walking past policemen like to get out of the train station you have to like walk through the police plaza like down a bunch of stairs and all the stairs are lined with like different little police like hut things um I can't really they're like stations I guess but they're like one person stations and then like three policemen standing outside of them and it was just like I would walk by like nine policemen as a young girl and I never felt safe I mean aside from like crude comments which is very popular um or very common I guess is the right word it was also just like this feeling of like I can't move I can't look at anybody the wrong way and I have to like endure that coming home every day and also leaving every day. 
you just kind of have to hope that nothing happens because you don't you don't feel like you have any power in that situation. There's such a wealth disparity in New York because you turn the corner and there's like multi-million dollar buildings um, from the projects, like no matter where you are. So um, unless you're maybe like on Long Island, but for the most part, or Staten Island, there's so much, there's such an obvious difference in wealth and it kind of feels unattainable. My name is Linda Diaz and this is The Making of Me. So The Making of Me, I don't necessarily see as a pivotal moment as I do as a trait that I learned. Um, and there were definitely certain pivotal moments that attributed to those and kind of like aha moments. But I think ultimately it's embracing change and embracing not knowing what is coming for you um, and embracing a sense of self and knowing that like I'm always me no matter where I am in my life and no matter what I'm doing. It's easy to feel like you don't matter. school that I went to, it's called Columbia Prep. It's on the Upper West Side. Um, and I got a scholarship in kindergarten. So it's a pre-K through 13 or 12 school. So it's like your whole, your whole scholastic life. Um, but I didn't go there in preschool. I just started in kindergarten. And one of the mandatory classes um, was chess. So the person that started the scholarships in these schools was also the same person that was like um, instituting different ways of learning, I guess. So like more music classes. This was like before arts was like a given in schools, even in private schools. Um, so he was making like certain music classes, um, certain instruments, like everyone had to take an instrument, everyone had to take a plethora of languages, everyone had to take swimming, and everyone had to take chess. <laughs> so um, I started in kindergarten. I was awful at it, but I had a really good temperament for chess is what my... Um, that my teacher said because I was like a really quiet kid and I could sit for hours which like most children can't and so I think classes were like 30 minutes or something you're in kindergarten but I was like capable of just like sitting at a board for 30 minutes and not saying anything and that's half of the battle because as I learned with chess you just naturally get better um, you don't necessarily like I mean, there is like talent and things like that, but at the end of the day, especially as a kid, you're just going to get better if you continue practicing because it's like spatial awareness patterns and like the concept of time within the game. I started doing after school for chess, um, which was also nice because my mom's a single mother and I have a little brother. So we kind of like were expected to have an after school program. Um, and so for me, that was chess. And I was the worst player on the team until I was in fourth grade, which is a long time from kindergarten. Um, and then in fourth grade, I just like won, I won cities, states, and nationals all in a row. And it kind of like became like there was like chatter about me then, you know, there was like people were gossiping. They called me the tank, which was really cool because I was like this tiny little kid. Um, but then it just kind of launched from there. Being a girl playing chess was hard, definitely. People hated when you beat them as a girl. Like, I've had people flip boards over beating them at chess. I've had people be like, you're cheating. Um, 
I've had so, especially when I play online still, because I enjoy it. Um, and so many people are like, oh, you're playing like a girl, which doesn't mean anything. Um, but also I'm beating them. <laughs> um, I think there's, I don't know, it's, it was nice because I had a sense of camaraderie among other women. And it taught me to like not see women as competition because I think like women are naturally just pitted against each other as like, there's only one spot to be the best woman, you know. Um, and there were a lot of movements in chess at the time that I started that were like, no, like there was like all girls chess tournaments um, that were like intentionally to build camaraderie between women playing chess. And so I think that I had a community that didn't exist even like 20 years ago. Um, like the first woman grandmaster is only like 50 something years old, you know, because women weren't allowed to play chess. Like they just weren't allowed to like be in tournaments. Um, and it absurd. So it was definitely difficult. It was also like a bunch of like socially inept men. Um, I think playing chess is also a vehicle for escapism. Um, just in that I was able to be an individual. And I think even with the dynamics of being a young woman of color in the chess world, which is like a rarity, especially in America, um, but also just like all over the world, I still felt like people were valuing me for me. And it's sad that that was what I felt like I had to escape from where I was growing up and like where I was going to school. Um, but I'm also really happy to have learned a sense of value based on things that I'm doing for myself early on. It was also nice to like not be at home definitely. And like also kind of, I feel like when you're a kid growing up in poverty, you feel a little bit like a burden, no matter how much your family doesn't make you feel that way. I definitely felt like I'm taking up resources. I'm not making money for the family. Like it's not, you know, I'm already going to this really expensive private school. Um, and even though my mom wasn't necessarily like paying, she wasn't paying my full tuition or anything, but she was still like paying for me to do things, you know? So I, I just like felt a lot of guilt from that. And I think being in a chess tournament, I felt like this is something that I'm good at. And it, like, it's my independence. I made a little bit of money, which was nice. Cause then I could like have money to like do things and also like contribute to the family a little bit. Um, even though my mom didn't really take my money, but, <laughs> but I felt like I was doing something like for myself. Um, and so I think that, was a really great, that was like my way of escaping. I, uh, and I had a coach, I practiced every day. I would come in early to, for school and then I, I would stay after school to practice and then I'd be traveling on the weekends playing chess. So it didn't really leave a lot of time to do other things and chess was something that is equated with academia in a way that music isn't, which it, I think is incredibly incorrect. But um, people assume that like chess can get you into college in ways that music doesn't. Like music, will, music is an extracurricular. Music can get you into a conservatory if you're an incredible musician and are also good at like music theory and composing. But with chess, um, I think just the fact that you're participating in, in it makes people think that you have all of these like quote unquote academic qualities, um, which I did because I am an academician and I love school. But uh, that was definitely in my mind a path to like go to school um, and like go to college after high school and like maintain scholarships throughout high school. But that also kind of trained me to be like, all right, you're going into a career field, like you're going to college for the sake of getting a full time job. And that was the goal since I was in kindergarten. So um, music was always a side passion of mine. I went to Oberlin College, which is in Northeast Ohio, which if you don't know is very cold. It's like right by Canada and it's 
also by one of the Great Lakes, so it gets this lake effect. Um, and so it's either almost always raining or cold outside. Um, but it's a really lovely place to be. The people are really friendly, um, and it's a community feel. It's a small liberal arts college, so a lot of musicians, and that was a big part of me wanting to go there. But I actually applied not knowing what I wanted to study and ended up studying like ethnography and American studies. So I was in college my senior year studying ethnography and doing a lot of musical things just because I enjoyed them, but more on the side. I studied American studies, and there are two ways that you can go about completing your senior thesis, and one of them is field-based research, and one of them is text-based research. So text-based research is kind of like traditional, going into the archives and looking at documents, um, maybe looking at like articles, which kind of like stems into anthropology and like objects and things like that. But then ethnography, um, it's studying social life and culture and people. So it's a lot of, it's observing what people are actually doing um, and talking to them. And kind of, it's kind of like oral history and oral tradition are a really big part of ethnography. Um, but it's the difference between qualitative and, qualitative and quantitative research. So instead of looking at numbers of people and like, making your assumptions and theses off of that. You're looking at like what people are doing and what people are saying. Um, and it's actually quite the process. Uh, it's a lot more than just talking to people, which I do enjoy doing. So I was like, yeah, that sounds more interesting. Like, I think that it's really important that we value who these people are as individuals and like as a culture also, as opposed to just like looking at them as numbers, um, because there's so much nuance that is lost in numbers. And that's like what ethnography brings to the table um, is all of that nuance. Maybe you shine a different way You paint away a gray and cloudy day But when it's ever clear to me You're nothing short of magic You shape a world between your <laughs> Deciding to be a musician was a really scary decision for me. I've always been a musician as a person. Like I've been performing since I was six. I've always loved to sing. So my mom put me into like all these programs and choirs and things. And I always did acapella in school, but um, I come from a really poor background. Like I grew up in the projects in New York. And so growing up in New York, you have all these resources, which makes it different than growing up in the projects anywhere else. So I, and I also have a great mom and like great family. So it was I had all the support and love that I needed, and that's really what you need as a kid. Um, but I also grew up thinking that I could never afford to be a musician. Like, all you see, at least for where I was from, especially in New York, you see Beyonce, and then you see there's no there's no in-between. There's no in-between, like, someone who likes to sing and Beyonce. <laughs> it's either you're Beyonce or you're not a musician. So I was like, okay, well, I like to sing, but especially as a Caribbean person, it's not unique to be musically talented. So I didn't think that it was, like, particularly unique. It's just what made me happy. And once I was there... I saw all of these people being musicians, and I'd never seen that before. Like, I'd never seen people going to school for music, um, and I'd never really seen people, like, gigging. One of my best friends that I've actually had since my freshman year, his name is Mike O'Day, and he's an incredible drummer. He's in the conservatory, the jazz conservatory, which is, like, one of the best conservatories in the world. Um, but we were just friends, like, through mutual friends. We weren't even necessarily music friends. But he was, he'd always heard me sing in acapella things, and I'd like posted a couple things to social media, I guess, and he was like, you're so good, I want to perform with you, but he's a drummer and I'm a singer, so it just never happened. And um, it's our senior year, 
And there's this thing called Senior Sco Night, which is there's this discotheque that Oberlin used to have in the 80s. And they kind of turned it into like this club vibe, I guess. It's like a small pub type vibe. Um, and so they have senior nights there this, the, at the end of the first semester and at the end of the second semester. So this was the end of the first semester. We're at senior night and we're all like hanging out outside afterwards waiting for the shuttle bus to take us back because it's freezing. Um, and he's like, Linda, we've never performed together. Like, what's up with that? And I was like, well, you're the one who's a musician. Like, you're the one in the conservatory. So you let me know when you have a show and I'll come sing. And he was like, all right, how about tomorrow? <laughs> I have an R&B showcase tomorrow. And do you know No Scrubs? And I was like, yeah, of course I know No Scrubs. I'll be there. Like, we're both a little bit tipsy at this point. I was like, I'm so ready. I'll be there tomorrow. Um, and so I go to bed at like two or three in the morning and I wake up to a text from Michael. It's like, all right, rehearsal's at eight. And I'm not, re- not ready at all. I have no idea what I've signed up for. Um, I've never performed with a band. I don't even know who's going to be in it. I've never been to the jazz building at Oberlin at this point. So it's kind of this like very like exclusive shiny glass building that's lead certified which means it's like all um like it's very eco-friendly and all of the energy is renewable so it just kind of looks like this like machine like a very beautiful machine (laughs) but a very intimidating one um and I kind of like slink in there for rehearsal and it's just this huge band of jazz musicians like there's guitar bass drums with mic keys um and we ended up doing this rehearsal and singing this one song. And they were like, wow, you're awesome. Like, what else do you know? Um, so we did a whole show. I did a whole show with them. One of my friends from college moved to New York. And he's a producer and a pianist. And he moved in with a bunch of other producers. So it was the after the summer of my first um, like year out of college he moved to New York and he was like hey come to the studio that I live in and like record something and so I recorded something on his album there then he put out his album and people wanted to hear me perform it with him so we were performing the album like all over New York and I was booking my first gigs with him everything I've lost in you After college, I got a fellowship, and then when I got it, they were so proud, so I was still kind of like measuring my success on what other people thought was best for me, slash what I already knew I was good at. I think I've always had, as an academician and also as someone who came from not a lot of money, I always kind of prided myself on these like tangible, like measures of success and so there's this idea that like you do need to be financially secure and that music can't afford that to you unless you like come from a lot of money which a lot of people and musicians in New York do so I think like I'm still consistently battling that with myself and being like being happy and doing what you love is a sustainable way of living and if you do it well enough you can make enough money to be happy and you know like self-sufficient And I don't feel like I feel like every day I wake up and I'm a musician as opposed to before it was like every day I wake up and what do I want to do today or who do I want to be today. And now it's kind of like I know what I'm working toward, even if there isn't a straightforward path. And that is fulfilling for me. I think I'm a lot better at knowing where I'll fit in and be happy. Like I don't necessarily play shows that I regret playing later and I don't collaborate with people that I regret collaborating with because I think part of that is a sense of self but part of that is like an ability to see a culture forming and like see your part see yourself as a part of it or not see yourself as a part of it.
We'd like to thank our friends at So Far Sounds for introducing us to Linda Diaz. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the share button on your podcast app and send it to a friend. If you're a music creative and are interested in featuring on the show, please get in touch with us via our social media channels using the handle at Don't Skip Media at D-O-N-T-S-K-I-P-M-E-D-I-A. Thank you.